It's going to be a slow weekend this week at the Big A with just the Queens County listed stake going. But don't forget, if you're a new player and want to sign up, please use Naira Bets. We have a promo code that will help you match $200 in your match deposit bonus. That promo code is Rewind. That's R-E-W-I-N-D. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome to episode 68 of Red Board Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl. And today my special guest is someone who has helped me very much throughout my horse racing career and just learning in general. He has worked for Capital OTB, Horse Player Now, and is now currently with Fairgrounds as one of their on-air analysis. It's Brian Natto. Me and Brian talk about four races from last Saturday's Louisiana Champions Day and some angles that we talk about are how using the wet track career box can help find an overlay on a wet track day. And in races when you have three evenly matched contenders, don't take the lower prices as it will hurt your bottom line in the long run. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Brian Natto from Fairgrounds Racecourse. How are you, Brian? Spencer, great. Good to hear from you. Uh, we just got through a pretty exciting weekend as we uh, kind of get going at the meet. So things are pretty well here, yeah. Super excited to have you on. Really glad to see you doing well down at the Fairgrounds. Obviously a wet one up there this weekend. But let's try to get into uh, how I knew you before this. You uh, did a lot of stuff for Capital OTB and also Horse Player Now. What was your experience overall with those two things? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I started way back when uh, as a as a press intern with Naira, two, 2006, I believe, and uh, just did that for a summer. Wasn't ever involved in racing and had no background in racing, but the uh, the great Fran LaBelle took a shot with me and hired me. So I was a, I was a press intern upstairs with uh, <clears throat> Jason Blewett and Eric Donovan. Those guys were great friends to this day, and uh Kind of went from there. The Clancy's, Sean and Joe, hired me to do some writing uh, for the Saratoga Special, which is a is a pretty big deal up in Saratoga. Well, even all over the place, but really mm-hmm. well received up in Saratoga, and and that kind of morphed into uh, a staff writer job with those guys for about about four years. So we would pick. I went to Fair Hill, worked there, and we would pick up the office every year and move up to Saratoga for. Uh, uh, about seven or eight uh, <laughs> hellacious weeks. We would sleep in September was how the line went. And uh, then Jason, Jason Blewett uh, recommended me to uh, Joe Christofek, who at the time was, 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 you know, with Jeremy Plonk and horse player now and said, Hey, I got this guy that could be a Naira handicapper for you. And uh, you know, they were sending out the buzz on a daily basis, their product, their horses to watch product. So uh, that started, I, I think Spencer and, Man, like 2009, maybe 2008, some somewhere in that that realm, and then it kind of just morphed from there. And horse player now got bigger and better, and we we, we kind of went on to some great things. I, I as as you know, you you picked followed us and, and things like that. So 
uh, we just kind of went from there and, uh, that got me some real notoriety and, uh, soon, soon in capital OTB, I think in 2013, my good buddy and colleague, Seth Merrow said, Hey, we, we've got a spot. Would you think about doing TV? And I had moved back from, uh, from Delaware to, to Saratoga, um, and kind of had gone out on my own uh, away from, uh, the writing aspect of, of, the Saratoga special and things like that. And, and horse player now is really rolling. So uh, I said, sure, I'd like to do that. And uh, here I am today, I guess, Spencer, I was 2013, I think, because uh, that's when I moved back to Saratoga and uh, been on with OTB ever since continued to this day. And, and, you know, that exposure got, got me, uh, you know, some TV exposure, obviously. And, and uh, kind of morphed into the, the fairgrounds gig, which has been great so far after two or three weeks. I love that you bring up the, the writing process. Uh, obviously, the way my career started was I started writing for uh, Scott Shapiro's website, Chapper to Capper. And it's funny, I always talk with a bunch of my writers, and they say how their handicapping evolved and became better from having to write their analysis down. And I, and I, I tend to agree with them on that. When you're not just forced to, you know, who do you like in this race? The six. And that's the only thing you say when you're forced to tell and explain to someone why you like a certain horse or, you know, why do you like this 35 to one shot? It really makes you have to dig down deeper when you're doing analysis and really figure out key points to that specific horse. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, anybody can just, you know, put numbers on an Excel sheet, send them over and be done with it. But when you, when you've kind of, you know, and then and then uh, say, hey, I had three winners yesterday. Look at me. But uh, when you have to explain it, when you have to get in front of people or get, you know, out out in front of people and, and tell them why, I think, you know, not only does it, it, it give you a little more credence and your little more, um, uh, what's the word, uh, respectability, but mm-hmm. it also, you know, it, it helps you along, too. And I think you can bounce a lot of ideas off people that, that know, know what they're doing. And I, I think you get a newfound respect too, Spencer with, with people that are doing this and, and oh boy, that, that guy or that gal is really sharp, you know, I, and she, he or she knows their stuff. So uh, I'm going to follow them or that kind of thing. And, and I think, you know, I'm sure you and uh, myself, certainly along the way, we, we've gotten to know a lot of people where we respect their work and their handicapping. And I'm, and I'm sure it's probably picked us up a, a winner or two. I, I've always said, you know, I, I, I'm fine with picking my own losers. That, that's fine. But anybody that I respect, especially in this day and age when everybody is so into their own circuit, you know, mm-hmm. everybody is, I follow this and I'm the expert at this. Well, if you can identify someone that you really respect you know, at a particular circuit that maybe isn't on your radar. There's never enough tools in the handicapping bag. So that that, that is a, a very key lesson I learned early on in this game. You talk about picking up your own circuit. How much of Fairgrounds had you covered previously? And how hard is it for you when you're going, you know, from obviously being the Naira handicapper for Capital OTB and now having to dive into a whole different circuit, different riders, different trainers? Yeah, luckily, um, for probably the past, I'd say, four or five years, we do the one sheet on, o- on OTB, and, and I've been the Kentucky guy, mm-hmm. the la- at Keeneland at least, the last several years. And this year, that actually morphed into Churchill Downs in September as well, and then obviously in November. So a lot of those horses and connections, as you know, Spencer, you know, kind of migrate down to fairgrounds. So that helped. Um, but I will be the first to admit, and I've said it many times, I said it to, to PTF, uh, Pete, last uh, Friday, and I said it even on the air at Fairgrounds. I, I, I admit that 
I was not aware of how good the state bread product was and is. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had some just absolute crackers uh, for maiden, some maiden racers down there. We have, we're going to, you and I are going to talk about champions day. That was this past Saturday, but I have been really, really impressed Spencer with the state bread product that they, that they, that they churn out each and every day. And Scott Jones and the crew down there have done a great job really, uh, you know, filling races and getting great depth and competition in those races. So, so that's been a real pleasant surprise. We've run probably, uh, eight, eight, eight or 10 or 12 maiden special weight races for state breads that have really, really been full of very, very highly regarded, impressive, talented horses. We talk about the state bread program, but also now we have to add in the weather that day where we have muddy on the dirt or good on the turf. What do you do when you're starting to look at, you know, off surface days? I've heard a lot of people say like they cut their handle in half or, they uh they tend to stay away altogether. How hard is it, and what is your prep for these kind of days? Yeah, it's difficult. I don't think there's any any way around that. Um, I, I mean, a, as a rough general rule of thumb, you know, I like to maybe ease into the card a little bit, especially if we're off the turf. You get the benefit of having constant early racing on the dirt, so you're not kind of swapping surfaces. And I'm a firm believer in kind of seeing how the, the track is going to play, see if horses, you know, see if it's fair, see if it's favoring a particular running style or path. Uh, it's been a little inside at fairgrounds of late. But as a general rule of thumb, I, I like to watch a few races and see. And obviously, Spencer, you know, you, you look at the weather and, and beforehand, you, you know, you can scuff up your PPs and you know, this horse has run well on an off track. This one hasn't. But, you know, I, I definitely think that's, that's a good, you know, it's key to your handicapping. But I, I've also said many times that, you know, just because you ran well on the slop at Belmont doesn't mean you're going to run well on the slop at Saratoga, that kind of thing. So it, it, definitely, it definitely makes it difficult. It's hard enough when you think you know everything, and then when you throw that into the equation, it gets that much trickier. Turf, um, turf is another thing because a lot of times, you know, they might tell you the turf is good, and then these horses go out and you see fifty-three to the half mile, <laughs> so you know it's that you know that's not the case. So, um, you know, you have to, you definitely have to be diligent in your handicapping, pay close attention to the actual races as they're being run, and see. You know, handicapping, the beauty of, of this, this game is it only takes one. And, you know, it's always a work in progress. So, you know, you can use those early races to, let's say, you know, you're playing the late pick four, the late pick five. You can watch four or five or six races before you and then make a little better assessment going forward. And maybe that's going to help you out. Let's kind of talk about your process now from when you were the fledgling handicapper to now. How has it changed and what have you kind of morphed into? It was kind of like, were you always a pace handicapper and now you've switched to, you know, being more of a speed figure guy, et cetera. I didn't know it was any different from when I, I thought I was still fledgling <laughs> based on this past weekend. Um, Spencer, the, the biggest thing that when I started way back in the day with, with horse player now is the biggest thing. And I, and I think, it's one of the areas that, that separated them and, and Joe Kay and Jeremy Plonk and, and Brian W. Spencer, Jerry Schottkirk. I got to give those guys, Terry, Terry Terrell. I got to give them all a shout out. Kate and Bradar's done a lot of work for us in the past. We, the thing was when I started with those guys, it was watching replays and taking trip notes. And I think Spencer, 
That's that is like the last stone unturned in this game because you have to do the work. And you know, handicapping can be you can be lazy handicapping. Let's just be honest. You, you know, I might spend two hours on a race. You might look at it for thirty seconds, mm-hmm. and sometimes thirty second handicapping <laughs> wins. You know, it's it's the it, you know when your mom goes to the track with you and she liked the, the color of the the saddle cloth on the horse and she hits a $180 exacta and you're pulling your hair out. Um, that's a thing in this, but you have, that's part of it. But I, I firmly believe ever since I started with those guys, trip handicapping, racing, watching racing replays is the last kind of stone that's unturned, as I said. So that, that is a big part of what I do. Uh, and, and, you know, especially with those guys, you know, obviously there's the, the pace analysis and things like that. And, and, and that has really come to the fore um, in, in recent years. But but my daily kind of routine is watching replays, uh, gauging the pace of the race on, on paper, checking my stable mail, see who's popping up and, and going uh, that route, because, you know, I, I think a lot of people, that, well, honestly, they don't have the time to just pour over replays and, you know, take trip notes and make, make notes and, and, you know, things like that. They just don't have the time. And I think that's where a, a someone that does this on a day in and day out basis can, can gain an advantage. What's the biggest thing that you think as someone who wants to teach the game, a la me with the bet squatter, what horse player now was and still is what's the biggest thing that we still have as a hurdle in front of us for the fans? Well, I mean, obviously we, you know, that we've, we've seen it come to the fore this year with the, uh, with the indictments and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's just something that's not going away. And um, I, I hope we can get, you know, and, and that's, falls under the umbrella of just we it would be great to have a universal governing governing body um in this game where where you know you know you look at any other sport there is you know 31 baseball teams aren't aren't doing their own thing and then getting (laughs) together at seven o'clock and playing nine innings you know it's um and it's easier said than done i understand that but I, i think to attract new people um, I, I, that, that, ha- that domino has to fall over. Um, first and foremost, we have to get better testing. Um, you know, and I, listen, I'm, I, I have, I don't have anything to suggest or anything cause I'm not smart enough, but there's a lot of smart people out there. So hopefully we can get that, you know, Spencer takeout's another big thing. There, there, there's just, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, you've got to, you, you need to attract betters and, and that, you know, lowering takeout is a good thing good way to do it um as well you know it, it's it's tricky you know we, we we have done a really good job promoting this sport several years and, and we are attracting new fans and i you know we've seen how boy you, you know the handle you know in this day and age we're living in has really gone through the roof and you know just speaking of of fairgrounds the, the, the you know the the horse we we raised purses starting uh, in a, in a few days, we're raising purses after the new year, I should say, because we've had so much support. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that the fan is out there, Spencer, and, and uh, I, I think they have come along a little bit. And we just keep, need to keep, you know, hammering at home and that this is a great sport um, that where you can make money, you can have a, a literally a life changing score. And, uh, you know, it's hey, it's cool to bet the Giants at, you know, at 
plus 10 over Seattle and turn your hundred into 200, but you can turn that hundred into, you know, $97,000 at, mm-hmm. at the racetrack. So, um, you know, I think we're on the right path, but as with all anything, Spencer, we just got to keep at it. Let's talk some more angles before we get to these races. What are some of your favorite angles growing up? Do you still have some that you think, think are tried and true, or are there some new ones now that you've, you know, kind of evolved? Um, I, you know, I, first and foremost, any race I look, I, I, personally uh i, I want to know the race flow so I, i'm just looking at at each horse and where they're going to fit in the race and it's easy i, I just talked to brendan walsh uh who's going to bring maxfield back uh on saturday at fairgrounds and you know we were talking he's in this seventy five thousand dollars stakes that the tenacious and i'm looking at the field and we were kind of chatting and you know every horse in the race you look at their their running lines and you see five, sixes, eights, nines, fours. And there's like, there's really only one horse that, that is, that is shown speed. And I think that's, that, that is for me, the first, first thing I always look at when handicapping a race, how is it going to be run? What is the pace going to be like? And who is it going to benefit or who won't get benefit? Um, and I think it all starts me personally, at least I all, I think it all starts and flows from there and that helps me get a better idea uh, of, of how a race will be played and uh, how it's going to shake out and therefore who can benefit and who might, you know, if, if you've got a deep stone cold closer and there's nobody with speed in the race, it, you know, it's, it's pretty evident that horse can struggle a little bit. Let's get started with our first of four races from last Saturday's card at Fairgrounds. We're going to start with race number seven. It was the Louisiana Champions Day Lady Sprint going six furlongs on a muddy track. What did you like in here, Brian? Yeah, I didn't have a strong opinion, Spencer. I'm looking at my, <laughs> I'm looking at the PPs now, and I always, if I'm playing horizontals, I, I always write down my numbers, obviously. And this was the All Stakes Pick Four, and I have. I have my ticket here that I guarantee you I was going to hit the winner because I had all. I didn't have a strong opinion. I, I thought if, you know, if there was a race in the sequence that could get a little funky, that maybe was a little more wide open than the others, I, I thought this was it because I, I thought, Spencer, that there would be a, a relatively spirited, uh, spirited pace where our lost love uh, would go out, and then I thought maybe there'd be some pressure down inside, uh, maybe Southern liaison from the rail to hold position uh, and, and things like that. I didn't really have a strong opinion, and 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 maybe that maybe honestly, in in hindsight, I I took the easy way out and, and just wanted to be alive um, because as as it played out, you know, Mitchell Merle took the initiative. Uh, with, with our lost love and the favorite, Mr. Alscal just simply uh, ran out of room. And, and, you know, she did clear off early and, and held on late. And the track was, you know, was a little inside, was a little speedy. I think it's safe to say we, we can say that now. Southern Beauty did chase and for a little bit, and I thought she would being drawn outside. But, you know, at 16 to 1, she simply wasn't good enough to really do any damage to our lost love. And that was the key to the race, Spencer, because our lost love cleared 22 and two, 46 and two for a solid Philly like that. They weren't going to reel her in. She had just enough to get uh, to keep it on the line over Mr. Al's gallon, a race that, you know, I looked at it like maybe it could be a little chaotic and, and it just was very, very formful. 
couple horses I, I was interested in going starting out the race. Mr. Al's gal, uh, seven for ten on a wet track. I just feel like that's when I see a mighty track, that's the first thing I look for. I look in that career box to see how good they are. Seven for ten compared to five for fifteen on a dry track. This horse just or this mare seems to love the wet track. I just didn't understand really the turf race last time out. The races before that were pretty were pretty solid. Second by one and a half and one by a neck and an optional fifty at Delaware. All those were off the turf. I just don't understand why they were trying to get this horse on the turf for so long when it just seemed like she was a much better wet track and also just uh you know, dirt track specialist. Yeah, she's got a lot of versatility to her. I mean, she had a couple of turf wins. I, I tend to agree with you that that uh, it was an odd spot because she has run so well on dirt. Uh, but, you know, the other thing, too, you know, you look at the race, it was run over yielding ground. And, and that was, uh, I believe that was Thursday of Preakness Week. I might be wrong on that. But, you know, maybe they had it in mind that said, you know what, we'll catch a watered-down field of, of five. Uh, on an off-the-turf race playing our game. And, and maybe, you know, when it came up yielding, they said, well, you know what, we've run on turf before. The field doesn't look all that great. Let's leave her in. And, and she did. She ran a big race. Um, yeah, you're right. At 7 for 10 over a wet track, she was 3 for 7 at, at fairground. I mean, she was definitely a major play. She, Spencer, she ran huge because, as I said, when, you know, if, if we had in-race betting, I know our lost love was 3-1, to one, Mr. Al's gal was 2.1-1. to one. Um, If we had in-race betting here, our lost love would would probably have been 7-5 to five on the backstretch, where she kicked clear by a length when Southern Beauty couldn't run with her early. You know, it, it put Mr. Al's gal and Adam Buskitza in a tough spot, chasing a very, very good horse on a loose and lonely lead over a speedy track that they weren't running very fast on. My top pick in the race actually ended up being the number six, uh, Vatry Girl. Just one that I thought had some decent class rating in the state bred stake rankings, having won her last two before switching again. Another horse going to the turf. Uh, Asmussen and Santana, I trusted. Eight to one, I thought was a very solid price. And uh, as we'll hear in this race call, our lost love getting free on the backstretch. It was all for Brian. For me, it was Valerie Vachery Girl. Let's hear the race call right now. They're off in the Louisiana Champions Day Ladies Sprint. Sharp start for Mr. Al's gal. Right there between horses, our lost love spends in the lead with Southern Beauty showing good speed too. But for Mitch Murrell, it's our lost love who just leads Southern Beauty by a half to three quarters. Southern liaison, Mr. Al's gal broke sharply, fourth on the outside by two and a half. Vachery Girl is joined toward the inside by Steph's Full of Sugar. Snowball is held up end toward the rail. Diamond Crazy has drifted back to eighth and last. The opening quarter at 22.52. They answer the far turn. Three furlongs to go. It's Our Lost Love paving the path to Southern Beauty looking to keep pace. Mr. Alsgal, Southern Liaison, is a joint third coming toward the quarter pole. Vachery Girl, fifth. Snowball looking to unwind on the far outside. Steps full of sugar and diamond crazy. They've straightened past the quarter pole. Half mile for our lost love. 46.41 with Mitchell Murrell. Our lost love. One furlong to get. Charging Mr. Alsgal. Snowball on the far outside with Vashri Girl. Then Southern Beauty and Southern Liaison. They come past the 16th. Our lost love looking for the line. Mr. Alsgal bearing down for Adam Biskitza. Mr. Alsgal. 
on the wire and a photo with our lost love close Vashri girl with diamond crazy after that and like we had said number four our lost love gets it done paying eight dollars with a 72 buyer i mean like you had said seven to five on the back stretch three to one looked like the real steal there halfway through that race yeah, I mean, and again, that was that's something we could talk about too in race betting. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it, you know, it's just again, it's race dynamics, and you handicap a race. And you know, I thought Southern Beauty was good enough off that forty-five flat duel last time. Um, I thought she was good enough not to win this race, but I thought she was good enough for three to four furlongs to keep tabs on our lost love and make it problematic for her. And our lost love was just, you know, it was a good ride. Mitchell Merle's been very aggressive at the meet, and, and I commend anybody that's aggressive early in racing in 2021, 2020, 2021, because it seems like no one does it. Mitchell took initiative. He said, I'm going. Southern Beauty couldn't run with him, and that was kind of it. You know, she had just enough to hold off an unlucky Mr. Al's gal. Your horse, spent. I, I will say your horse, I, I think, you know, unfortunately for you, the – the uh, eight to one is going to be seven to five next time. But boy, yeah. she's set up for a big campaign off the comeback in a race that was probably a little short for her. Uh, she'll probably be back with friends next time, or at least this group again. And, and she'll be have to pay second off the way off. Mr. Alsgal's buyer came back as a 72, which is obviously a decline from that 79 two back. Is this one where maybe off the layoff, that this horse will just succeed more second, third off, and just need that one off the break, even though it seemed to be a short break. I, I mean, we could we could go in a tangent here. I, I don't view that as a layoff. I dr. I wish drf or whoever you know, you, whatever your everyone uses. I, you know, <laughs> eight weeks, eight ten weeks in, in this day and age is not a layoff. Um, I, I think Spencer was just a little sticky track that didn't you know didn't didn't play to overly fast times, and I think. That's a byproduct. The slow, tepid early splits were, were a byproduct of a, of a you know, a, a modest late time. And I think that's probably what, what, you know, ran, what gave it a 72. A horse I'm very interested in next time out was the number one Southern Liaison. Uh, four for five with a second coming into this race. I think maybe not one step too early, but just obviously wasn't ready for this company yet. I think if you can drop back down, you know, second level allowance this one having a terrible running line finishing second last could end up spiking at a very nice price here yeah i don't want to say you know she was thrown to the wolves because you know when you're four for five this is kind of the spot you're supposed to be in Mm -hmm. but this was a tough group of gals and she was no doubt stepping up she was running against older stakes horses for the first time she's very lightly raced she had a tricky rail draw and she kind of got caught on the chase early on so i agree with you i I think she's definitely uh a a horse to keep an eye on and maybe make a note on and see where she comes maybe if she draws a little better you know a lot of these kind of lightly raced horses that we we, were going to talk about or we saw on saturday you know are are a lot of them i don't want to say they're over their they were over their head that's not fair but they were you know definitely stretching their rubber band a little thin because these are big money state bred races we're talking a hundred thousand dollars they don't you know run these every day for mm-hmm. louisiana breads so they kind of you know they're out of their comfort zone a little bit and i think if you take note of the ones that equip themselves nicely you could definitely get some value next time out or down the road because you know they kind of showed they can play with a group like this and they'll probably be better off for it 
Let's move on. Race number eight at Fairgrounds was the Louisiana Champions Day ladies turf going about one and one sixty miles on the turf. What'd you like in here? Well, I, you know, I was I thought is two was was a major player. I I I had it five six two. I thought is I thought the race flow was interesting. I wasn't necessarily sure how it would play out because you look at this race on paper, you see Mary Wood, she's got some ones. Obviously, is two wants to be involved. And then you've got the four offspring who was just bet off the board, uh, getting back to turf off the claim for, for Joe Sharp, and she was two for two. So, I, you know, I expected the pace to be honest. I wasn't necessarily sure how fast it would be. And I kind of blanketed this race, Spencer, my pick four. I used the five, six, two in that order. Um, because I thought, you know, even if they went early, is two would, would trip out nicely. Certainly she's in form off the win last time at Louisiana Downs. And honestly, I couldn't really separate is two room to finish or net a bear. So I, I just used them all three. Also, I used all three because, you know, I didn't have, I didn't feel the need to go deep in the next two races. I had a bad opinion in the last race of the big four that we'll talk about, unfortunately, in a little bit. And, you know, so I had a single at the end and, and uh, I didn't feel like this was an all stakes pick four where you needed to get crazy, where you needed to spread deep. And, and I didn't have a strong opinion here, Spencer, but I felt that if I used is two room to finish in net a bear, I, I would I would get through, even though I didn't necessarily know who I liked best. I couldn't agree more with you with five six two. I thought the number four offspring, uh, like we had talked about, off the claim for Joe Sharp, finally getting back to fairgrounds two for two. Interesting to not see Florent in this one, having won those last two races a little farther back in the PPs. I, when you look at the race, uh, Netta Bear, last year's winner, comes comes to mind. Is just when you see these and have these state bred days, look for the horses that ran well previous years in it. Because they're obviously, you know, formful to the race, and their trainers know how to get them set up for good performances on these days. Room to finish loves to hit the exacta. Fourteen for nineteen in the exacta as a state bred is a horse that's very consistent, and one that you just—it's so hard to fade that type of horse, specifically. Yeah, and, there's no doubt about it. In these races, you know, we've seen this. We see this a lot in New York as as well. In these state bred races, the old the gang's all here kind of angle. So you know it, it's like a traveling circus a little bit. They all they're going to show up in the same spots, and that's a good thing. But in a race like this, it's kind of a bad thing because as you kind of agreed with what I was saying, it, it's tough to figure like who do I like best when is two room to finish and net a bear have been you know trading paint with each other for the better part of two years now, and sometimes this one wins, sometimes that one wins, and sometimes the other one wins. So I just kind of felt. All right, I'll use all three of them. Um, even though you know Netta Bear did win this race last year, she did it with a slow number, and she's lost the room to finish and is two this year. You know, so of late, I should say. So you're kind of like, okay, what are we getting here? How do I separate these horses? And while you know there were races on the card that said you know the, the last year's winner is going to be, we'll talk about it in race nine whereas last year's winner is going to be really problematic and hit hard in here. I didn't necessarily feel that was the case in this race, and that's why I just said, you know what, I'll go 2-5-6. I'm not going to bet this race individually, but I felt very, very confident that among those three, I would get through at least. And the beauty of a pit four, Spencer, you know, as you know, when there's when there's three or four horses that are all 5-2, to two, that, that, 
the other three that don't win, a lot of them were on a lot of tickets. Mm-hmm. So it's like, sure, okay, I got the five to two horse, but you know what? Three others that didn't win are going to take a lot of tickets with them. Is two for me was one that just seemed like in razor sharp form, improving the buyers four straight in a row, four for five in the exact on the fairgrounds turf, just one that I couldn't leave off. It's five six two for me and Brian. Let's see who wins the Louisiana Champions Ladies Turf right now. And they're off in the Louisiana Champions Day Ladies Turf of 2020. And Mary Wood going out toward the lead is two offspring in the green cap from Netta Bear, Aliacious. Room to finish and Lil Lashley B. So the early advantage here to the 13 to 1 frontrunner, Mary Wood, the Patio Prado Philly with Mitchell Murrell. Running for a hat trick of wins on the card. Mary Wood leads is two out to the stretch with Offspring third closer up the near side with seven furlongs to go. Laurent Giroux, the defending champion Netabare in the Red Silks, who's racing two to three clear from room to finish at the five and a half. The trailers remain aliacious with Lil Ashley B. The quarter in 24.09 seconds. The leader at the inside, Marywood, with is two. Right up there with the front runner for Migamana. Marywood dictates the field from is two. And toward the inside is Offspring, who's right there looking to draw in for Brian Hernandez Jr. Netta Bear is fourth to four furlongs from home. Anna Biskitza and room to finish in the black cap. Some six lengths off the leader, Marywood, as they turn again. Aliacious. Bids up the rail for Santo Sanjor and with Aubrey Green at 76 to 1. Lil Ashley B is last of the septet, half mile in 50.26. These Phillies and mares coming toward the quarter pole. It's Marywood. Marywood on the outside is two. Now Offspring moves up a giant gap. And here's Offspring charging with Netta Bear on the outside. Three quarters good turf, 115.30. It's Offspring who just led, tackled by Netta Bear on the outside room to finish. Marywood and Aliacious, they come past the 16th. Offspring, Netta Bear, room to finish, has swept them aside. And room to finish, pulls clear to win by two. Second on the bob between Netta Bear with Offspring, then Aliacious and Marywood, room to finish, the Giant Oak Mayor. Wins the ladies' turf. And the number five, room to finish, gets it done paying 660 with an 84 buyer. The top three, a la Offspring, also going off as the actual favorite, but the top two were two that we had liked. Is two finished dead last, and I have no idea why that performance was like that. Interesting to hear your thoughts on this one, Brian. Yeah, you know, Spencer, in, in hindsight, they, they got a little salty up front. I mean, I, I know... I know Mary would cleared, but yeah, by a length, but is two an offspring. We're on the hard chase, and I, you know, fifty and one to the half over that turf course. Um, I think you know that turf course had more give to it than maybe was led to believe, and I think that turned out to be a pretty sharp half mile. And you know, is two maybe she just didn't like. The, the, the off turf, uh, you know, she, she ran second on yielding ground over the course in February, but it was with a 73. You look at her best races, they seem to be on firm turf with higher numbers. So I guess in hindsight, that could have been it. But also, Spencer, it's kind of what you alluded to. That doesn't mean she's supposed to run last beating 25 lengths or whatever it was. So I, I, that's a head scratcher. It'll be interesting if and where she she pops up next and you know that's just another puzzle for a handicapper what do you do off that race i talked to florent Giroux afterwards he was second with netta bear and you watch this replay 
Um, and, and John, Ju- John Dooley, our track announcer, give him a shout out. He's awesome. He did a great job on this 13 race card. Mm-hmm. Um, Flo was kind of in a tricky spot and you watch the replay and, and he, you know, he said, you know, what was I going to do if I wait, I run the risk of getting, getting pinched and not being able to get out. If I go early and I take the initiative, I run the risk of getting run down. And that's kind of how it played out. Flo was forced to move early, whereas Adam Baskitza, who was behind Netta Bear, and that was might have been a little bit of a surprise as well, because typically Netta Bear, I mean, she closed from dead last to win this last year. Typically, she's been a little farther out, but Adam Baskitza had room to finish behind Netta Bear, and he could see it play out in front. And in hindsight, you know, Netta Bear moved into now what we know was, I, I at least I think, was a pretty quick pace, even though. Um, it, the, the teletimer didn't allude to it, and Flo moved early to try to get first run and 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 room to finish. Picked up the pieces. What what you know? Maybe she got a little weary late. Room to finish was there to take take advantage and get up in time. With these top three, just two going off at two to one, one at five to two. We had said how we had like three horses equally. I guess at this point we're supposed to just bet is two if we're betting just on a straight win bet. I feel, though, that a lot of people will think that room to finish might have been value, even if they had liked multiple horses. And I feel like in the long run, that's the wrong way to look at it. Two to one when you like three or four horses is not going to make you a winning player when you're playing those vertical or just the regular win place, win place show wagers. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that's a tough when when you're looking at a race where there's three to four, you know, evenly matched. Uh, horses taking two to one is is not going to uh, be a recipe for success in in the long run. You know, I mean, you know, if you want to talk seven to one and things like that mm-hmm. on, uh, in a wide open race, that's fine. But when you when you have three to four horses that are very very tough to separate, uh, you better be right much much more often than wrong to make any any headway playing it like that. You need to look for value or you know, let's say you love room to finish. Okay, well, then you single her in this pick four. There's your value because betting her to win at two to one is not going to, like I said, it's a recipe to the poorhouse. Let's jump into our next race. Race number nine was the Louisiana Champions Day sprint. First of 100,000 going six furlongs on the dirt. I wanted to ask you about what the morning line favorite, Laughing Saint Song. This is a horse that had put, you know, a bunch of races together, and now we've seen two quick layoff lines of with one race each. I just thought vulnerable favorite right from the start with those two layoff lines. Well, defending champion, so it wasn't a surprise that Mike Gilberto, you know, made her favorite on the morning line. Uh, Spencer, I agreed with you 100% at 10 o'clock in the morning. At 10.30 in the morning when takes two to tango, scratch. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I thought Laughing Saint Song would be very, very tough to beat. And uh, how did I how did I actually have this after the scratches? I had it four one. Um, and, and I thought uh, she was heck to he was heck to pay in here because the race flow, the race dynamics just absolutely got turned upside down. Because takes two to tango, whether you like them or d- didn't like them. He was going under flow, and he was going to be the inside speed. Now he scratches, and theoretically, we'll see how it plays out in a second, but theoretically, Laughing Saint Song was supposed to be loose in here or at least wasn't supposed to face the pace pressure he was going to when Takes Two to Tango was in, 
And uh, so I, I thought he went from being a very, very vulnerable favorite to one of the more likely winners of the sequence. And, and that's another reason, Spence, too, why you can't get married to picks or, mm-hmm. or, or tickets before doing the scratches and reevaluating. It's a good lesson to learn because you get something like this where, you know, you, you got a race where you think it might fall apart and then the other speed scratches and it's completely turned upside down. So, you know, if any, if any kind of newcomers are listening and stuff, make sure you go over your picks and your analysis again after scratches, because as we saw in this race, things can get very, very, uh, turned around in the blink of an eye after those scratches come out something i've kind of learned to do over the years obviously talking with jk pete i uh i get my contender list you know it could be four could be one a single a single in one race and i just i wait for scratches i kind of amplify like what my idea of a good ticket would be but i'm never putting pen to paper and writing out tickets until i see those scratches because once i feel like you put it pen to paper you start typing in ideas on your adw it just it makes you want to play it more. And then, oh, I played it, but there was two key scratches. And now the 36 to one shot that had a little bit of back class wins up the rail. And that's a horse that you might've had as a B, but when you do the stuff early and you just, you know, get whatever a console for the scratch, it just, it hurts sometimes. Yeah. I mean, handicapping is kind of like, you know, being a closer in baseball, you better have a short memory, you know, (laughs) just because you blew a three run lead on Thursday, you know what, you're coming back on Friday and you need to get, three outs and and i i agree with that you can't let losses add up and you can't be married to selections and not be um how do i kind of say not be man or woman enough to say well you know what i've got to change my pick now because uh uh because this is completely different than how i envisioned it last night or this morning um and and i need to be okay with that and you also spencer need to be okay with if you change your picks and your and the your your former top pick does win, you need to be okay with, well, you know what, I did this for the right reason. I just kinda look foolish in hindsight now, but it was the right play to say, you know what, I didn't like laughing Saint Song at the start of the day, but after the scratch I said, you know what, he's loose speed. I do like him and you know I'm okay that it didn't work out because that was the right move. Let's talk about my top pick, uh the number two Monty Man. Another horse, four for eight on a wet track, five for eight at fairgrounds. Finally, gets back to what I feel like was the best surface and best and his favorite, one of his favorite tracks at thirty-three percent of his winners coming here. And just when you look at uh, Mr. Al's gal from her, her that first race we went over, being at you know sub two to one or right around two to one, and now Monty Man at six to one. This is the right play because if you're wrong, you only have to hit this you know two out of three times out of ten races to be profitable, whereas Mr. Al's guy, you have to hit, you know, four out of five. You know, you just got to keep going and going and going because the price was just so much different. And I felt like this was the right spot to, you know, take a shot in a way. Yeah, well, you know, and that brings up another angle where as we were talking last race about the two to one and that's not value because they all look the same. Well, you know what? It's, you know, you could argue that Monty Man has lost a step. He was a seven-time state-bred stakes winner and, five for eight at fairgrounds, but you know, he's kind of struggled a little bit of late. You look at the numbers, they're definitely a little bit, they're, they're gone down a hair, but as you mentioned, Spencer, it's all about risk reward in this game. And if Monty man was three to one, you'd say, absolutely no way. He's a complete toss. But then you say, ah, oh, he's six, seven to one. Well, you know what? 
yeah, he probably has lost a step, but that's the right price to see if on a big day like this, in his biggest spot in quite some time, if Ron Fauché's got him cranked to the gills and ready to roll, well, you know what? I'll jump in at six to one because that's the right risk reward, and I'm getting all the best of it. Whereas if you know room to finish, let's say even though she won, that doesn't mean it was a good he it was a good play because you're getting all the worst of it at two to one in a race where basically she's exactly the same as three other horses. It's the number four, Laughing Saint Song for Brian, as well as the number one, Birdie's Galaxy. It's the number two, Monty Man for me. Let's see who wins the race right now. They're off. Racing in the Louisiana Champions Day Sprint. And a fast start toward the inside for Bertie's Galaxy. X-Clown right there adding pep to the pace. Yankee 7 on the purple cap and sleeves. Monty Man toward the inside just held up. And Classy John and the red cap in tight quarters there between horses. Win you win, caught by, but in the clear. Some six off the lead. Bertie's Galaxy pressed by X-Clown. We come back then to Laughing Saint Song. And closer to the near side, Silver Galaxy has drifted back to last. The quarter in 21.93 with three furlongs to go. At the inside, Bertie's Galaxy just leads X-Clown. Bertie's Galaxy and X-Clown. And they take this confrontation to the quarter pole with Yankee 7 looming. And right there is Monty Man spying a gap. When you win, spun wide as they come for home. A couple of furlongs to go. Half mile in 45.51. It's been a battle between Bertie's Galaxy and X-Clown. One furlong out. Monty Man looking to pick them up. Yankee 7 has dropped back. Charging his win, you win, who's getting on a roll. But still three lengths in back of Monty Man with Adam Biskitza. It's Monty Man and Monty Man for a 16th career win. Beats win, you win by two and a half. Silver Galaxy at 23 to one, game third. And the number two, Monty Man gets it done, paying a square $14 with an 87 buyer. I thought it was a real patient ride and definitely helped by the pace for Adam Biskitza. It had to be a patient ride, didn't it? Because they were absolutely flying <laughs> early. Um, this is the old other Ron Fauché, which is ironic because, now listen, Birdie's Galaxy was a player in here. Nobody thinks he she, he wasn't. But my goodness, Birdie's Galaxy was 3-2 to two from the rail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I actually interviewed Erica Murray after, and I said, boy, just too fast. And she, and, he, and she said, yeah, I mean, we caught a flyer. And then I was in front, and, you know, he hadn't run in a little bit. He hadn't run since, you know, the middle of September. And she said he never got a breather, and the other horse being and that horse being X-Clown just never let go of him. And, X, and uh, you know, X-Clown had never shown that kind of speed. They went 21-4, and 45-2. And, and we know that's flying because we just talked about race seven. Yeah. Uh, our lost love went to 22-2, 46-2. So uh, um, uh, just a crazy pace that was contested. And there's Monty, man, the seven-time state-bred stakes winner with 600K in the bank. And Adam Buschitza, who was second in a couple of times. I had to talk to him when he was second. He wasn't too happy. There he was just sitting back looking his chops. And I'll tell you what, uh, Spencer – I know uh, Birdie's Galaxy was three to two, and Monty Man was six to one. Those odds were reversed entering the far turn because Monty Man it was a it was like oh, how, what's he going to win by five or six or what? It could have been. He just needed to get out, press go, and that was it. It was listen. He is a cool horse. They claimed him way back when for a quarter. At one point, he had won seven in a row. Ron Fauché's done a great job. If you read the quotes after the race, he's like, this is a horse of a lifetime for me. He's been so meant so much for the barn, et cetera, et cetera. So listen, it was pretty cool to see Monty man 
seven years old, soon to be eight, get back on the beam and just, just, just add to his legend. When you see a race like this and you see a birdies galaxy going off at such a short price like that, is this just a mistake by the public where they've just made the wrong favorite or they just don't know exactly what to do because it's muddy and it's the state bred races and they're very highly contested. To me, this is the exact kind of race you would find in a handicapping book, which is what the the show has kind of been all about. So I was really happy to find this race. Yeah, I don't. Ha- <laughs> and now I'm so unhappy to say this. I don't know why this horse was three to two. Yeah. I don't have an answer. I mean, listen, he was a major player. Um, he was a major win player, but he was a major player at, Three to one, seven to two. I think even with the scratch, I think my, the, this morning line is is fair. I mean, okay, we lose a four to one, but hell, Monty Man is legitimately four to one. He, for whatever reason, they kind of let him go. Laughing Saint Song should have been eight to five in this race, yeah. and, and you know he was seven to two. So I, I don't have an answer, Spencer, in, in for for that particular question of why they just buried this horse. I mean. Yeah, he's two for three over a wet track, but it wasn't like he's a wet track freak. His numbers were no better on a wet track than they were on a dry track. He certainly didn't own any pace advantage. We already <laughs> talked about it. Even if Birdie's Galaxy was, was the inside speed, and he, and he shook out the B that way, even if he was the speed of the race, Lapping St. Song is drawn perfectly to his outside. So even... You know, you and I didn't think they were going to go 21 and four, but we could have easily made a case that still Birdie's Galaxy is going to take all the worst of it down inside. Um, I thought the Birdie's Galaxy trip would be let lapping Saint Song clear. Erica Murray gets out to the two path and she's pressing him. Um, it just didn't work out for that way on a horse that caught a flyer at the start and she was kind of pot committed to go from there. Um, Spencer, you Birdie's Galaxy could have won by four, and I still wouldn't have told you he should have been three to two. So I, I just don't have an answer. Um, you know, I, I I still can't come up with why he was buried that that much. And again, you know, it, there's two Ron Poche runners in here. As I mentioned, one of them's got had 600k in the bank. Laughing Saint Song won this race last year for Pete's yeah. sake. So, I, I Spencer, I don't know if somebody involved with this horse just made like a giant win bet. It doesn't. It still makes no sense to me. And I and I think I'm I'm, I'm adult enough to say even if he won by four, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made sense to me. So I don't have an answer to that one. Maybe. You know, maybe it was kind of like once the train started going and everybody saw, oh, man, Birdie's Galaxy's 9-5, to five. he's live. They all kept betting because they didn't know where else to go, which, you know, you kind of mentioned. You know, maybe that was it. Other than that, I cannot possibly come up with why this horse was 3-2. to two. We'll call it public error for now. Let's jump into the last yeah. race of the day. Race 11 from Fairgrounds was the Louisiana Champions Day turf going about 1-160 miles on the turf. We have the defending champion here. He looks real tough. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Tom Morley's done a great job with 91 assault. Sean Bridgman entered five for six on uh, aboard him. The course is six for nine over the Wilson, the Stahl Wilson turf course. Um, he comes out of a trio of races that are, are just, you know, no disrespect to any of these state bred runners, but these, you know, he comes out of the Artie Schiller, the Laurel race and the ocean port where, where those fields were just way, way better than this group. And, and 91 assault would take all the beating. 
um, one of the two to three most likely winners on the entire card. There's no doubt about it. I, you know, I, I liked actually, I liked Boudreaux talking though. The, uh, you know, Keith Austin doesn't, hasn't started a lot of horses, but, uh, he's done a very good job. And I thought it was very noteworthy Spencer that he claimed this horse off of Carl Broberg. And I said this on TV. I, I, I said, if, listen, if you claim a horse off Carl Broberg <laughs> yeah. and you maintain, and you maintain their form, you're pretty doing pretty good. If you move their form up, wow, you're all right in my book. So Boudreaux talking, I thought was a major, major player in here. I think too also the fact that you get someone like Floron in the irons as well for how many people out there who always talk, you know, oh, jockey's switching and jockey's moving left to right and they just always want to know like why a certain jockey is off this horse and on this horse. Seeing Floron get the call here was very interesting to me. I just, from everything like you had said for 91 Assault, just the last three races – prove the class edge of this horse and already having one last year and we know tom likes to bring a string a string down to fairgrounds now and just they may not be as a or b's or maybe they're the lower b's but just this one i think is very dangerous nine or six for nine at fairgrounds on the turf course is this one you said it was one of the top three best bets of the day possibly but like this one to me is just the lone kept single and then i'm also trying to find piece of value for underneath an exactus well I, I i'll talk about the latter part what you mentioned first i love that angle let's say you love a strong favorite okay um i don't think it does any good as a public handicapper or as a better to say yeah let's i, I love 91 assault he's gonna win but i you know here are four of them to use underneath in the exact now you can't do that okay because what you're going to do is you, you, you need to be right with your exacta when a horse like 91 Assault is in a race. Mm-hmm. So you need you, – you can't play four exactas that are all p- paying between 13 and $17 because you just kill your value. You need one exacta, and whatever that one is, you need to punch it, and you need to play it hard, and if you lose, you lose, and so be it. But you're not doing anyone any favors, or you're not doing your bankroll any favors when you play four equal exactos with a strong favorite on top, it, it's just not a good idea. It's kind of like the two to one win bet in a, in a race with four contenders. It's just not a good idea. So you've got to be, you got to say, listen, this is the price I like underneath in second. I'm going to punch this 20 times or, you know, whatever your, your, your typical budget is. And, and if it loses and 91 assault wins, Oh, well, I was never betting him at $5 anyway, move on to the next race. For me, I was I was ready to pass the race because I couldn't really find that secondary horse. And then when I saw the price that this horse was going to go off at, I made a really hard win bet. I would have bet this horse at even money. And obviously getting a little bit above that, if I hit that bet X amount of times based on even money, I should be profitable in the long run. Yeah, the 91 Assault fans uh, um, were, were buoyed by the crazy toad action of Boudreaux talking. Now listen, I picked Boudreaux talking. I sure as heck didn't bet him at five to two. I mean, that was the underlay of the day. Uh, I, like I said, I had, I picked him on top. I thought he was very, very live. I also thought I would get four to one, nine to two. I thought Mike Deliberto made a good morning line mm-hmm. because why isn't 91 assault four to five in here? So anybody that loved 91 assault should, should, uh, take some of their winnings and buy a few Christmas cards for all their friends that like Boudreaux talking because you got about an extra uh, an extra dollar fifty to a dollar twenty to a dollar fifty to to win than you should have on a horse that was legitimately 
four to five in this race. There's no doubt about it. Well, let's listen to the race call of the remaining and defending champion 91 Assault here in Champions Day right now. They're off on the Louisiana Champions Day turf. And there's Guitar Tribute, who's ridden out toward the lead from a fleet descent. Unrestricted is quick to join. Changi settles in back of this flight end. Carly's Dream is right there, too, as Guitar Tribute just leads at the inside for Ricardo Santana Jr. in front of a fleet descent. Unrestricted is third out to the stretch. On the outside, Carly's Dream and Changi holds the rail. Guitar Tribute at 15 to 1 is the overall leader as they go to the back of the course. And then comes 91 Assault, the Midnight Blue and Pink Epaulets. Defending champion is midfield for Sean Bridgemahan at the five and a half. Jack's man is wide, and saving ground is Musical Man as they go up the back. Break of two and a half then to Kingdom Way, who's racing two lengths in front of Boudreaux talking with Trains Midnight Moon, the quarter in 24.20 seconds. The Cats on a half-mile pole, guitar tribute by a half-length to a fleet descent. Right there is Carly's Dream, who's close up, and Changi saving ground unrestricted in fifth. 91 Assault starts to move up from 6th as they go to the far side of the fairgrounds course against the rail musical man. Jack's man is wide. Kingdom Way, Boudreaux talking, and Trigg's Midnight Moon remains 11th and last half mile in 50.81. They come toward the top of the stretch. Guitar tribute. A fleet descent has been right there with the leader. Carly's Dream, unrestricted, spun wide. And 91 Assault looking to get in top gear. Three quarters and 116.61. A fleet descent took the lead from Guitar Tribute. One for long to go. 91 Assault is staying on, along with Changi, who battles between horses. They're close to home. It's a fleet descent. Here's 91 Assault. 91 Assault defends his crown and kept on stoutly to beat. A fleet ascent in the turf. And then Guitar Tribute was next with Changi and a late bid by Trey's Midnight Moon. 91 Assault at the fairgrounds wins again. And 91 Assault does get it done paying an overlaid 520 for me with an 83 buyer. Not really much to review in this race, just how good this horse was. And for all of the other horses there, maybe Boudreaux talking, not hitting the board was a little bit shocking to me. Well, come on now. You hinted that you had a nice win bet. You got to be at least a little, you got to admit a little bit that you were, I don't want to say scared, but you were like, come on, Sean, you could get this horse out. Oh, absolutely. Going. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> but, but in hindsight, because I said it, Joe Christopher and I kind of joked on the air. I said, Sean Bridgman was the only one that wasn't worried because he knew what he had. Um, and, and he, uh, he timed it perfectly. Uh, but it, it, like I, like the Spencers of the world, they had a square win bet. Might have been a little worried when, in hindsight, there was absolutely nothing to worry about because 91 Assault was just net was traveling, needed only to be produced. Just that you know, this is a, I think class might, you know, class in the 70s and 80s was a big thing. Maybe it's gone a little bit by the wayside in this in our era of handicapping class really came to the fore in this one as 91 assault was just, you know, simply much the best in here. I've got to give Ron Fauchet credit with a fleet ascent. Um, I, you know, he, I talked to him after the race, I was talking to the runner ups uh, throughout the day and he took blinkers off and he, and he was really adamant that the, not only the blinkers off work, but he was really adamant that the next time he's going to cut this horse back to a mile because I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm sure you thought it too, Spencer, when a fleet ascent kicked in mid-stretch and, and got clear by a length or two, 
Um, you, everybody kind of thought, whoa, is this horse going to stop or not? And uh, he ran huge to get back on the beam. Uh, you know, Boudreaux talking just didn't fire. He wasn't beaten that much, but uh, maybe he didn't handle the turf. He clearly didn't run his race, though. I think that when I look back at it in hindsight, I'm, I would never have found a fleet of scent, so I'm happy I just did the win bet instead of like you had said, oh, I don't know who I like in second. I'll play four exactas, and then you end up killing your ROI in the long term, whether or not you win with that bet or not. I just think that looking back at this type of race, there isn't really anyone else I want out of this race except for 91 Assault. Was there anyone in particular that you thought might be interesting coming back other than the top two? Well, no, not definitely not. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would be... A fleet ascent, I will keep an eye out for next time. Um, you know, I wouldn't want him against not even assault again. That's for sure. And, you know, these are this is a good discussion moving forward because, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they don't run $100,000 stakes races for Louisiana breads every day. And so what that means is that, you know, a lot of these horses are, are now going to go to different places potentially and run in different spots and have to run against open company. And listen, 91 assault is an absolute monster in the state bred, you know, Louisiana bred ranks, but we saw, you know, outside, he's a little more of a, of a, of a middler, a little more mm-hmm. of a, 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 a mid price contender and a long shot contender in some of these races. So you have to be cognizant of that and say, Oh boy, 91 assault. I remember him. He was awesome at fairgrounds. Well, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be able to compete in an open $75,000 stakes at Gulfstream park. So I kind of tend to agree with you that there's not a lot out of this spot that I'm, I'm going to track uh, unless, you know, they, they all come back in a state bred stakes, that kind of thing. And, and we do it again. That is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank my special guest, Brian Natto. Where can people find you on social media and plug all those wonderful things you're doing around the horse racing community? <laughs> uh, so I am on Twitter. I kind of grind my teeth at that. But, you know, <laughs> being I, I have definitely embraced it a lot more, Spencer, with with uh, OTB and now certainly Fairgrounds. So it's, it's uh, Brian underscore J underscore Natto. Um, at, at, on Twitter. And, and I've been doing a lot more uh, at fairgrounds, you know, Joe K and I will send out our picks. We'll send out, we've been fortunate at fairgrounds to have like this on Wednesday, actually uh, Wednesday will be our third pick five carryover of the meet. We implement Fantastic. New traditional pick five. We got rid of the black gold jackpot. So the five ordered and any carryover pushes to the following day's late pick five. And uh, it, it, they had a carryover entering Champions Day, and they put 223 total into the pool. And yesterday, Sunday, they had a carryover as well, and they put about 130 in there. So I think Wednesday on a light racing day across the country, uh, it's 20, almost 28,000 in the kitty. I think they'll bet that big. So I'll have tickets. You know, I'm typically just on Twitter a lot. You can see me. Um, um, if you go to Capital OTB, uh, I'm on there with my good buddy, colleague, and, and uh, the great handicapper, and Seth Mara. We do the handicappers report that'll air. Typically, it airs live OTB. It's the same show we do during Saratoga uh, and things like that. So I'm on there. I'm on. I'm on uh, their Twitter uh, as well, doing that one sheet daily for Gulfstream. I cover Gulfstream in the winter 
for OTB, and that's on there, and I'll tweet that out. I'll tweet changes out and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, I'm out there, Spencer. I, uh, you know, I you could probably put my over under on non selection tweets at about ten for the year, but I'm out there. <laughs> Busy man. Glad you could spend some time with us on the Redboard Rewind. Hope to talk to you again soon, Spencer. It was a pleasure. Anytime you let me know. Thanks again to all our great listeners and my special guest Brian Natto. This show has been a production for In the Money Media. In the Money Media's present is Pierre Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.